Welcome to the sermon podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel tomorrow. Do you desire Jesus enough to run against the flow of traffic? Kids, raise your hand if you desire Jesus. Some of you. Kids, are you all drawing your pictures on the back? Easton will make sure that you are drawing the pictures on the back. She'll tell you what to do. The question for us is, is do we desire Jesus enough to run against the flow of traffic, against the flow of the world? And, in, and as the, the video described, it's a constant journey. It's a constant and way of life where we continue to follow after Jesus and we can't stop and we can't get distracted because the moment we do, we find ourselves drifting farther away from the cross. But the question then is how do we do that? And what I think is, is the, the world is really filled with chaos. And today is going to be the perfect example of that because the kids are with us. And kids are loud and kids are chaotic. And we have a choice this morning to be distracted by the chaos of the kids or a choice to, Stan's laughing at me, a choice to focus on Jesus this morning. And the world is the exact same way. When we are out there, it is noisy. It is hard to find Jesus because there's so much going on. There are so many different lights flashing and noises to be made, things for us to focus on. The question is, will we choose Jesus amidst the chaos? And the question is, how do we do that? This video was, it had a cool way to think about how we follow after Jesus, but, but it's not actually how it works in real life because it's not this continual path where all you have to worry about is this, this moving floor, whatever they call those like lateral escalators is what I'm going to call it. They, this moving floor with people going against you because really it's hard to see Jesus throughout the rest of the world. And, and the way that we follow after Jesus, the way that we run towards the cross, towards Jesus is by following Jesus. It's by living like Jesus by following his example and the examples of those that have come before us. In the Bible, Jesus says, be perfect for I am perfect. But have you ever tried to live up to perfection? Have you ever tried to, to live up to high standards that people have for you? Because it's very difficult. You often miss the mark. You often miss the things because you really aren't good enough. Yet Jesus calls us to be perfect because he is perfect. And Paul uses similar language in Philippians that we'll read in a moment. And, and it can be hard to live up to the ways that we know that we should Sure, it's easy to mimic small glimpses of Jesus. Sure, it's easy to live like a Christian should live for a moment. But, but to actually live our entire life like Jesus, or as Paul says, to live a life that is worthy of the gospel, that is very difficult to do. But it's exactly what Jesus, through Paul, is calling us to do. Let's walk through this together. We're in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 15 says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. 
And if on some points you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us to live up to what we have already attained. He starts off in verse 15 about all of those people who are mature. He says, all of us then who are mature. And that word mature in Greek is actually also used for perfect. So Paul is saying, for all of you that are mature, all of you that are, are perfect, then this is what you must do. It is the exact same word that Jesus uses in Matthew. Matthew 5, 48, when he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus also says in Matthew 19, that if you want to be perfect, go sell all of your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. It's this idea of being perfect, this idea of perfection. So Paul says, those of us that are mature, those of us that are, are perfect, we must take a view such as this. And what he's talking about is what we addressed last week, which is that we should desire Jesus above all else. That, that everything in life shouldn't matter. Our own achievements, our own things that we worry about, those are complete, worthless, utter garbage, Paul says, that we should choose Jesus. And Paul is telling us that anybody that is mature, anybody that is perfect should live this way where we put Jesus first. And the question then is, how? And he tells us, verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. How do we know how to live a life that Jesus desires, a life like Jesus? The answer is that we follow the example that Paul has given us, the example that we can find with other mature Christians. Paul has been on this big idea of, of examples throughout the entire letter. He talks about it so much. He starts off in chapter 1, verse 27, by stating that, that we must live a life that is worthy to the gospel, but he knows he can't stop there. He knows he can't say, hey, Christians, hey, church, I'm talking to you. Live, live a life that is worthy of Jesus and then move on. He knows he can't stop there. And so then he gives us examples. He starts off with chapter two by giving us the example of Christ, of how, how Jesus did not consider his title, his position, something to boast about, something to, to say, hey, I have achieved. But Jesus himself humbled himself down to, to a slave and then even to death death on a cross. And then immediately after, Paul gives him or us his own example of his life, which copies Jesus, where Paul says, hey, I have achieved the highest of all Jew status that you can possibly do, but that is complete and utter garbage. I must now humble myself to serve Jesus, to want Jesus. In the same way, I don't want any of you to ever follow my personal example in life because I mess up all the time. My hope, and I do try really hard to live a life like Jesus, and my hope is that you just look at my life as one example of how to live like Jesus. Not that you would live like me, but that you would live like Jesus. And the reason that we need to be careful who we are following is because unfortunately, there are bad examples in the world. Kids, raise your hand if you knew that there are bad influences at school. Yes, yep, you're with me. Adults, raise your hand if you know that there are bad influences in the world that can change the way that we think. Paul tells us right here in verse 18 and 19. 
He says, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. There are people in the world that don't live a life of Christ, and they are considered enemies of the cross. And their destination, their, their road that they are traveling on, their end result is destruction. For them, their God is their stomach or their belly. Their glory, the things that they boast about, are things that they should feel shame about because they have their mindset on earthly things. Kids, kids, I have a question for you. So kids, there, there's a kid back there. I was like, who is saying that? Stan, you got a kid voice back there. Kids, I have a question for you. If we in church, if we choose to worship Jesus by singing songs to Jesus, do you think these people that worship their bellies, do you think they sing songs to their bellies? Maybe. Do they sing songs to their bellies? You say, no, of course not, because that would just be silly, right? But belly means our own desires. Belly back then is, is our desires. It's our want because, and Emma will tell you this, that when Emma gets hungry, everything in life is about eating, her desire is to eat and she can get a little hangry, right? Where you get angry because you're so hungry. She will tell you that and the rest of us know exactly what that is like. Our own desires, when we get so hungry, it impacts the way that we think, the things that we do. Our desires in life which back then their idea, they didn't understand the brain as well. So they said that all of our desires came from the stomach or, or maybe you, you've heard the phrase, I had that gut feeling. I know what you're talking about in my bones. It is deep down inside of us. And so they are choosing to worship their own desires. For them, it is all about what pleases them, not what pleases God, but what pleases them. They just look about what is right in front of them. So Paul says, don't follow their example because they have their eyes set on earthly things. But instead, verse 20, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that, there will, that we will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for and joy, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And Paul is saying, instead of setting our minds on our, our own desires or on earthly things, that we need to keep our eyes focused on heaven. We need to keep our eyes focused on the cross, eagerly waiting for Jesus to return, who Jesus will come and return with the power to transform us. And so those of us that are perfectly mature, we put our eyes on Jesus. And from verse four or chapter four, verse one, that we also put our eyes on Jesus, but then we stand firm in the ways of the Lord, meaning that we do not follow the examples of the enemies of the cross. We do not put our eyes on earthly things. We do not follow the desires of our heart, but instead we follow the example of Jesus and Paul and other mature 
Christians. Again, Paul is telling us to live a life like Jesus, and we do that by following the example of mature Christians and living a perfect life. Kids, have you all finished your drawing on the back? No? Well, you had plenty of time. So kids, I need some help. Kids, I need your help. Here's what I want you. On the back of your paper, you all drew a picture of what? Heaven. So you all drew a picture of heaven. I want you to walk around right now and show all of the adults in the room. Show them your pictures of heaven. Where's your picture of heaven? See, that's, yes, go now. Even if you're not done, go show everybody your picture of heaven. What does heaven look like through the eyes of a child, you say? The house of the Lord. I like that. Hey, we just sing that song. Show them, have you ever wondered what heaven looks like through the eyes of a five-year-old? And adults, as they are showing you, we're going to have a little judging contest. And adults, as you are looking at these, I want you to think about which one of these drawings is perfect. Not which one is best, but which of these are perfect. Wayne says all of them. Emma's is not perfect. That's very good. You have in your minds now which one is perfect. Not the one that is best, but which one is perfect? Which one is flawless? Which one is without error? Kurt has already made his decision. You have it in your mind of which one is perfect. Now... Would your answer change if I gave you another picture to look at of a famous artist that painted their idea of heaven? Would it change your answer of choosing one that you consider to be perfect? No? Yeah, it would. Don't lie. It's not good to lie in church. You already showed me. Yes, that's good. Yeah, that's all right. I'm, I'm paying attention. It wouldn't be fair to compare Braylon's drawing to an 80-year-old famous artist that has been drawing for 70 years. It wouldn't, be compare, it wouldn't be fair to compare those together because one would obviously be better. One, if you look at them side by side, one of them would be very easy to say, no, that one is perfect. However, all of the kids, as Wayne said, all of the kids did draw perfectly within their own ability, within the own time limit. They only had like 15 minutes to draw this. So they did indeed draw perfectly to what they were able to do. The same goes for, for reading or spelling. We're working with Riley on, on how to read. And the English language is very difficult. Have anybody of you ever tried to teach how to spell the English language that are filled with all kinds of rules? And once they learn this one rule, then you like, well, okay, sorry. But, but yeah, I know I said this, but now you got to change it because the English language doesn't like to follow all the rules. So then you're over here. The way that you 
you teach them is you first start off by teaching them the sounds that words make, right? Like how do you spell train? If you sound it out, we say, oh yeah, it's, it's easy, T-R, but T-R is not a ch sound, a train, ch-rain, right? So a child would spell that out, C-H, ch rain and that for the child would be perfect we would praise that we would say yes that is what you need to do even though it's not spelled correctly that is perfect within their ability as they grow and mature then we teach them the correct spelling of t-r-a-i-n not c-h perfection in this way is based on their level of ability and Paul's main point in this entire thing is that, that we would follow the example of Jesus by living perfectly. But the key to that is found in verse 16, where he says, Only let us live up to what we have already attained. He starts with this idea of perfection or maturity, same word in verse 15, but, but it's not the same as having to be perfectly spotless or living up to a hundred percent perfect life because nobody can live a perfect life. Everybody falls short of the goal. Everybody messes up. Everybody sins. Nobody can live a hundred percent perfect life. Instead, Paul says that we live up to what we have already attained. So what is it that we have already attained? It is our spiritual maturity that we have already attained. We are all in this room at different levels of maturity. There are different levels of growth or maturity that people can reach, like the kids' artwork, there are different levels. If you compare a two-year-old to a five-year-old, you can see an obvious difference. If you compare a five-year-old to Kurt's drawing, there is an obvious difference because Kurt tells me he's an old man. And so you compare from a five-year-old to an old man. Kurt's words, not mine. <laughs> there is an obvious difference in their levels of perfection or their levels of maturity. And in the same way, we, through our spiritual walk, as we are walking after Christ, which is a constant journey that you can't stop, otherwise you go the wrong direction, but you constantly follow after Jesus. As we do that, we go through different stages, different levels. We grow in our spiritual maturity. Again, not that perfect by any means, means that, that we live a perfect life, but rather that we can live to the perfect ability within our stage. And if you think about it, that there are certain behaviors or lifestyles that, that new Christians have. Any of you ever been a brand new Christian? Yep, most of you. Any of you have ever been near a brand new Christian? I think most of us have. There are certain behaviors or things that they do that are not acceptable for a mature Christian that the new Christian just hasn't learned yet. And we can't hold them accountable to act like this mature Christian because it's not within their stage. I'm not stating that they have a free pass to do whatever they want to, but they have a certain stage. It's just like a, a baby or a toddler 
There are things that are acceptable for toddlers to do that are not acceptable for adults to do. But we are okay with toddlers doing that to a certain degree. And we're not okay at all with adults doing it to no degree possible because there are different levels or stages that we go through as we, um, as we grow in our spiritual walk with Jesus. And there's many different ways that we could break this down, but Paul uses the language of, in Corinthians of, of spiritual infants and spiritual adults. Spiritual infants could only handle milk. They were not ready for meat. That would be saved for adults. Like we think about infants, my new baby boys, there's no way that they could actually chew steak. They have no teeth. They don't know how to chew. All they can handle is milk. And so we feed them milk because that is all they can have. But adult, an adult can't live just on milk. They need meat or other types of food to sustain their bodies. They need something different. And so we can use this language of comparing it to human growth and say that there are different stages that we go through as Christians where we start off as spiritual infants and then we grow to be spiritual children, not child of God, but a spiritual child. And then we grow to be a spiritual young adult and then we grow to be a spiritual parent. And if you compare these two human growth and infants, a, a, a brand new baby is very dependent upon their parents. My boys can't do anything for themselves. They need us to feed them. They need us to hold them. They need us to care for and protect them. In the same way, spiritual infants, brand new Christians need to be cared for and, and nurtured by mature spiritual parents. They need us, as Paul says, to follow our example as we are living the example of Christ. They can't do it on their own. Obviously, they could with the power of Jesus but it's very difficult and God chose to use the church to help new Christians grow and mature. That is what Ephesians 4.11 says, that, that, that he gave us all of these gifts in the church so that we could help each other grow, that we could attain the fullness of Christ so that we could attain unity together. The same thing as we look at, at the human growth of a child. A child is all about having fun. We could look at Kyle and say that Kyle is like a big child and for him it's all about having fun especially with kids. I'm not calling him a spiritual child just a child at this moment. His words he called himself a big child. We can look at human children and see that, that for them, it's all about having fun. That's all they want to do. If it's not fun, they don't want to do it. It's all about having fun, but it's also hard for them to look past themselves. It's hard for a child to look at what is better for everybody else. For them, it is all about themselves. It's all about what makes them happy or what they need. And more importantly, within their time schedule. Not what is appropriate, but they want it and they want it now. It's within their time schedule. In the same way, spiritual children, they begin to know the language of the Bible, right? A child can speak. A child can walk. A child can do these things like an adult. And a spiritual child begins to know the language of the Bible. They begin to know the truth of God. They begin to walk like a Christian would walk. They begin to know the difference between right and wrong. But they still often see things through their own perspective. To them, a, a, to a spiritual child, church 
would be about what makes them happy, what meets their own needs. They will choose to go to a church that meets the needs that they have. That is how a spiritual child would look at church. And then children, going back to human growth, children grow through those crazy teenage years, right, Kylie? I don't know where she went. Teenager, she left. There she is. You go through those crazy teenage years, which are just absolutely crazy, until you finally make it to the young adult years, which are hopefully better. Sometimes they're just as chaotic as teenage years, but hopefully you make it to these young adult years where a young adult, they really do have the right intention in mind. Eventually, a mature young adult, they really start to begin to realize that the world is bigger than just them, that, that there are other people out there that are worth considering in their plans, in the ways that they think about things. They really do want to make a difference in the world. They really do want to help, but they don't really know how. They assume that they know how right? Every person that has ever been around a young adult, an 18, 19 year old, they know how to be an adult better than an adult does because they've been an adult for a year. And so therefore they're the expert. They know what they need is a strong, mature Christian that can give them direction, but also give them chances to lead, chances to grow. And in the same way, a spiritual young adult, they want to help. They can begin to see about church, not just meeting their own needs, but about meeting the needs of the community and other people around them. They want to make a difference. They want to grow. They want to do these things, but sometimes they don't know how. And so they need spiritual parents that are willing to give them a chance, willing to let them begin to grow until we finally mature into a spiritual parent. And a parent cannot be called a parent until they have children right? And therefore a spiritual parent cannot be considered a spiritual parent until they have spiritual children, until they are helping children grow, until they are finding somebody that doesn't know Jesus, sharing Jesus with them, giving them this new birth that Jesus talks about and helping them grow through the stages. That is a spiritual parent and what a spiritual parent does and needs. And Paul is telling us to live within the perfection or maturity of whatever level we are in. But we don't just stop. We don't reach a child and say, well, we're better than an infant. We are now a child. We don't just stop there, but we can live to the perfection of what we can attain while keeping our eyes focused on the next step, keeping our eyes focused on heaven and that growth, always looking to grow towards Jesus. Paul is basically saying to the church, we have come this far. Don't stop. Let's keep going to make progress. So the question then is, how do we, number one, live up to the perfection of the stage we are in? And how do we reach the next level? Two ways. As I close out here, two ways. First, we must remember that it is because of the power of Jesus. Verse 21, Paul says, Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This idea of transformation comes from the power of God and God alone. And this, this power of transformation or this idea of transformation has, has two aspects to it. On one hand, Paul is talking about a future transformation of Jesus returning one day with all power where all knees will bow to the name of 
Jesus where he will transform our bodies into our heavenly bodies as we step into the final redemption, the final restoration into heaven. It's the final act where Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, will bring the entire cosmos, all of creation, including all the chaos and the order where he brings it all together, where all will worship his name. That is one thing that Paul is talking about. But on the other hand, Paul is also talking about a transformation that happens now in our earthly bodies, meaning that we can only grow into perfection through the stages because of the power of Jesus. If we do not submit to Jesus, then we are not transformed. The power comes from Jesus. We cannot transform ourselves. The power comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. Second, it comes from chapter four, verse one, where he says we stand firm in the Lord, which means that we live a life worthy of the gospel. This is what Paul is trying to live himself as he is trying to copy the life of Jesus. We stand firm and strong where we are trying to live to the best that we can within the stage that we are while also keeping our eyes focused on the future and the growth of the next step. But how do we actually do that? First, and this is key, we have to want to. Any counselor in the world will tell you that a person doesn't change unless they want to change. Jesus will not force you to change and be transformed. He allows us to make that choice, but we have to want to. We have to want to grow from an infant to a child, from a child to a young adult, from a young adult to a parent. We have to want that. If we are comfortable staying with we are, Jesus is not going to transform us. We first have to want to. We have to want to grow. We have to want more of Jesus. That's first. Second, we have to follow the example of mature Christians in our lives. If we are a spiritual child, we have to look at one or two stages beyond us and see what it looks like and then begin to mimic and watch what that looks like. Kids that are left in the room, this means that you watch your parents and how your parents are living. But parents, that means you must remember that your kids are watching and they are going to copy all of your behaviors, both good and bad. If you are driving down the road, somebody cuts you off and you flip them off, your kids are going to see that. They are going to mimic that behavior, which is not the way of Jesus. We must first remember that our kids are watching. So kids are watching their parents because that is who they know to watch. That is their example of living a perfect, mature Christian life. Parents, we remember they are watching. And then we, as adults, we follow the example of Paul. We follow the example of Jesus. We follow the example of mature Christians in our lives. We desire more of Jesus. We desire to grow. And that desire helps us personally avoid sin. It helps us personally choose what is good instead of what is not good. But the question again comes back to how do we do all of this? Yes, those are good things, but how do we actually do that? And I'm convinced that all of this requires time. If we want to be better Jesus followers, it requires more practice and time. 
If you want to learn a new skill at anything, a new language, a new ability, an instrument, it doesn't matter what your skill is. If you want a new hobby, if you want to to be better in your workplace, if you want a new career, whatever it is that you want to achieve, it requires that you spend hours upon hours practicing and learning how to do those things. That is the only way that you can gain a new skill in life. And in the same way, if we want to actually grow, we must take the time to invest into it. And I know your initial thought is, I am busy and I don't have time. I say the exact same thing. I am busy. I don't have the time to do that. But the truth is, we all have 24 hours in a day. And we all get to choose what we keep our minds focused on during those hours. Yes, we have to work and pay bills, but we have the choice to focus on Jesus while we are working. Yes, we have to drive places. Yes, we have fill in the blank, but we can choose to focus on Jesus while we are doing that. Well, I probably can't. I'm not really good at multitasking, but the rest of the world is great at multitasking and you can indeed focus on Jesus while you are doing those things. We can choose to focus on Jesus at night when we are tired, so we turn on the TV so we can fall asleep. We get to choose what we are watching. Is what we are watching helping us grow towards Jesus? Or is what we are watching making us transform into the culture and actually walking away from Jesus because it has nothing to do with God, but everything to do with the world? We get to choose those things. Same with reading. What books are we reading? This only only happens if we want to grow, if we truly desire more of Jesus, we will find the time. So the question comes back to what is it that you desire? Do you desire more of Jesus? Or do you desire an easy path in life? Did you come here today just for chili? Or do you actually want more of Jesus? Do you want to be equipped to make it to the next stage in your walk? We need to work together on the same mission of wanting more of Jesus and wanting others to want more of Jesus. We don't stop like children and say, we just want more of Jesus and we're done because we know that the world exists around us. There's more people out there. So we should want more of Jesus and we should want others to want more of Jesus. That's become my new phrase. I want you to want Jesus. I want you all to want Jesus. I want the community to want to want Jesus, right? It's that want to want that really makes us want to want Jesus. This is what we mean when we say be and share the gospel. That is our slogan, who we are as a church. We want to be and share the gospel. We want to equip and make disciples that be and share the gospel, which means that they are spiritual parents that be, meaning they live the life that is perfect within their ability. They live the life of Jesus and they share the gospel with other people so that they as parents can help grow those that are behind them. We have new cards that I was really hoping were going to be here by this service. I don't have them yet, but on these cards, I should have gotten a picture up on the screen. I failed. That's okay. Forgive me. Maybe next week they should be here by tomorrow. 
We printed off these new cards. These, they're just business card size. So you can fit them in your pocket, super easy. And on the front of it, it says, Jesus changes everything. And then it has the verse John 10, 10, where, where Jesus says that he came so that we could have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full because Jesus changes everything that is on the front and the back has our own information. The idea is that, that we can take them, and we can pass it out. My hope was that I have them today. I could give them to you. So as you're passing out candy tomorrow night, you could throw in one hand of candy and a card into those kids' buckets. And then as the parents are hopefully digging through and making sure the candy is safe, they're like, wow, what is this card? Right? Or they'll just use it as a bookmark or throw it away somewhere. But it doesn't matter. We at least tried. So in the interim, since I don't have those, we do have more of our um, other cards that are back on the table. We have a whole big stack. So if you are handing out candy tomorrow night, I would encourage you to take a handful of them and just throw it in the buckets as you give them candy. Exactly. Yes. I don't know what she said, but I'm sure it was good. Oh, yeah, there you go. I've heard somebody say that you could like put it inside little plastic baggies and then you could staple it to the plastic baggie or tape it. However you want to do it, you all can decide. The idea here is that we would want to want Jesus and we would want others to want more of Jesus so that we be and share the gospel. As Paul says, that we grow by following the example of Jesus, but it starts with us wanting Jesus. Which is the question, do you actually want more of Jesus or would you prefer an easy path of following the world to destruction? Pray with me. Father, I want more of you. And I want these people here to want more of you. I want the people gathered with us online to want more of you. I want our community to want more of you. This morning, I ask that you give us the ability, the power to want more of you, to know how to grow toward you. We want to walk against the culture towards you. Father, we are standing here stating we are available. Send us out to do your good work. Father, choose us to be a light in the darkness. Even though we may be small, you use small things to remind us that it's not in our strength that we do anything, but it is in our weakness that you shine because it is your strength and yours alone. Father, we trust you. Grow in us and through us. Father, we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at rnaschurch or our website, rnaz.church.